This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Life is a journey. And we are all on the path to maturity or perhaps increasing maturity. Perhaps you never arrive at genuine maturity. But I think one of the really important milestones along the way is when people you like or are familiar with are in your circle achieve something that you would also quite like to achieve and you are happy for them rather than consumed by envy. I think that's like one of the real hallmarks of actual maturity. And, like, we've got a lot of guests uh, on our show. We're very blessed and flattered and grateful and lucky. And so you sort of stalk them ahead of time. And in previous weeks, I've had a fair bit of a fair bit of envies come and grab me. And this week, we're going to have another attack of the envies. Um, they're being delivered by someone who we've known for 25 years. So, so it makes it the fact they're wrapped up in such a delicious package very exciting. But, Shag, how are we going to reach another life milestone as well as getting over scary films this week? That, that is a really good point. Our next guest uh, is returning to the podcast. He's someone that I've been in awe of and kind of living in the shadow of for a good 25 years. You know, he is our very good friend, but to you, he is an FBI radio host. He's the host yes. of the Red Bull podcast, If These Walls Could Talk, about Sydney nightlife. Yes. He is the lead singer and or guitarist in a number of bands that have had everywhere from moderate to massive success, you know, in Australia and beyond. <laughs> Hope that wasn't like, I don't mean like, I just, uh, yeah, God. Welcome back, Al Grigg to Spooko. Oh, thank you guys for having me again. I love Spooko. I love you guys. And um, what are your favorite episodes? <laughs> like? All the ones I'm on. <laughs> of course hey Al I've got to ask yeah so we had a friend of the pod Ben message us during the week and ask us Mm. about horror experiences sort of haunted houses taken to the next level in the states now I've only been on very limited tourist trips but you know as we said on the last episode you're on Green Room check it out very good episode You have toured the States a couple of times with various bands. Mm. Have you ever had the opportunity to go into uh, like an official American either haunted house or like horror experience? No, I never have actually. And I meant to actually be going to like um, Atlanta pretty soon and to um, we might do a day trip to like Savannah where I imagine there's like heaps of like haunted stuff. But I have done the haunted um, experience at Manly at the like the old quarantine station, uh, which is 
I mean, you know, there was a couple, there was some good, there was a really good uh, host to a guy that actually got us kind of like pretty worked up at one point. But, um, and they just do like cheesy things like, you know, they'd be telling you this story and then they'd like slam the like desk or something, you know, like, ah! but there was no actual, unfortunately, no actual hauntings. But I say unfortunate, like I would actually, like, I think it would mess me up like big time if I actually experienced a genuine haunting. I think that's a really good point because I think there's that that degree of fascination with wanting to see something spooky that's almost a um that like it's almost linked to a sort of a disappointed pessimism or like almost if we're talking about milestones almost like an end of childhood moment of like no no like fantastical crazy mad stuff has to be real yeah and so you sort of pursue that pursue that magic hell yeah hell yeah yeah. So, so these experiences that happen in the US are a little bit more extreme than someone being like, "Don't look behind you," and then <laughs> slamming a desk. It but, might be measles, Mary, <laughs> who died in this room in 1956. So, particularly, there was one. Uh, you know, a lot of the press around this place was from 2015. I don't know where it's at at the moment. It was called. McCamey Manor. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. McCamey Manor. Fuck, I'm getting anxious hearing about this. Yeah, okay. It was basically run out of this gut, like this ex-Marine's backyard. It is an eight-hour experience that's entirely not-for-profit. You pay for it in dog food. Apparently at the time, and there was a, there was a swirl of press around it in 2015 because apparently there was a wait list of 27,000. He only accepted a couple of people every weekend to do it. It's an eight-hour experience that starts with your head tied up with duct tape, your hair roughly cut, slammed into a storm drain, sort of simulatedly drowned, and that's before you even sign the waiver. Now, the big famous thing is it has a waiver. Now, Peach, I have to ask you about this particular. So, number one, it has a 40-page waiver. Uh, why would any waiver be 40 pages? I don't understand why you need that many pages. I have a genuine answer, which is fucking US contract drafting, right? You know, some arcane law that's passed in almost every state requires that limitation of liability clauses. So, waivers is one loose way of describing that, have to be emphasized. And the fucking way they do it is they do all caps and they run it together in one paragraph. And so, like, in Australia where we've discovered indent and we've discovered fucking grammar and punctuation, you know, you can sort of, even though it's really legalistic, you can sort of understand what something's trying to do. But for this, you look at a two-third of an A4-page block of text, all in caps, like some fuckwit with a thesaurus is yelling in your face. Um, so 40 pages of that. No, no, thank you. So, so you, 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 you go through this initial part of the experience and then you agree to sign it on camera and then they put that on YouTube and make like content around it. And that's kind of how it got famous because they created all these like scary content bits around it. And one of the clauses, there's no safe word. You can't choose to stop it. Only the owners choose to stop it when they decide that you may have experienced either physical or psychological harm. Now, here's my question. It's pretty easy to tell when someone's experienced physical harm. How can you legally give people the right to be like, we will only stop this when you've experienced psychological harm when often those effects don't manifest except as trauma or PSD or all sorts of things like years down the track? 
Mm. Well, on page 26 of this waiver, <laughs> you'll find <laughs> you'll find a clause that explains that it is in the sole view or the absolute discretion of the owners as to whether they formed a view as to whether you've suffered psychological distress. So if the matter's litigated, right, and Shake, you've been in and you're like, I was clearly suffering psychological distress two and a half hours in when they started tickling me or whatever. <laughs> um, like they're like, no, no, no. Page 26. It is in my discretion as to whether I've formed a view. You were suffering from psychological distress. I hadn't formed that view. You can't read my mind. You signed the contract. Sorry, son, go home. And look, American courts are with the greatest of respect. <laughs> Um, jokes. So like, <laughs> like no one, like no one knows what had actually happened. I'm terrified of US court because I'd be like, you are shag a billion dollars for like <laughs> tripping over. It's like oh, this is like made up monopoly money. Like <laughs> it's just a fucking joke. All right, okay. So the reason why I bring that mm. up is, and I all the judges it... have nicknames. Sorry, it's one other thing. If you're like a famous old judge, it's like there's this guy called Learned Hand. It's like everyone's like, oh, Learned Hand, what a classic character. It's just it's so dumb. <laughs> all right, okay. So look, the reason why I bring up McKamey Manor and also Big Ups Ben, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yes is I think it's funny to the extent we will try to fool ourselves into experiencing things that aren't real. Now, McCarmy, it's not real. It's run out of like a dude's backyard. And apparently when they decide you've had enough, they bring you in, put a blanket around you. All of a sudden, they're all really lovely people. They take off their scary like zombie masks and they're like, have this like M&M cookie. You did really well. You're really tough. Like it's, it's such a bizarre thing to put yourself through. Mm. And I think... The same thing about films. Now, obviously, we've gotten into a little trouble recently by saying films are boring. But I think I can very, I, I think I can very truthfully say that films aren't real. Films are not real. They are made up things using lots of tricks in a camera in a you know in what seems like a three D medium, but is it very much a two D medium to show us make-believe things that never happened and were written by either a person or, more increasingly, an AI, at least assisted. Well, like, you're referring to documentaries as well in, like, a postmodern way that everything is curated, everything is edited Even and curated. documentaries aren't real. We know reality TV isn't real. Mm. It's vaguely scripted. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about documentaries. Like, <laughs> like obviously, I'm talking about horror films. But with that in mind, mm. I think it's really funny that one of the draws for today's film is the fact that it has been named by many people as the most extreme film of this year. Al, was that your was that your experience of hearing about this film before we actually went and saw it? I actually hadn't heard anything about this film before we went and saw it. I only that you texted me and said, "Hey, I want to go see this like body horror film. I've got a spare ticket to come." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, Always. I'm always up for, like, I will literally go and see any movie pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you don't so think happy. they're boring, Alex. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm so not dis- discerning as well when it comes to movies. I'm just like, cool, whatever. I was distracted for an hour and a half. But, um, but yeah, so I actually hadn't heard anything about it. And then, you know, going in. So it was kind of interesting going in blind, I think. So, so let's talk about this film. It premiered in Sydney at the Sydney Film Festival after having won this year's Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival. So, you know, it's got like a large amount of prestige behind it. It's also the next film by horror director Julia DeCorner. Oh, who did Titan or Titan? Titan. 
Yeah. Yes. Who 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 made mm. Raw? Right. So this so this film. Oh, this we're film doing Titan. Titan. Sick. <laughs> we are doing Titan. And when it premiered at the Sydney Film Festival, I've seen different accounts of this, but as far as I can tell, at least 13 people yeah. fainted. <sighs> Beyond the faintings, there were multiple panic attacks. <laughs> there were all sorts of adverse reactions to this completely made-up film. And from our vantage point, how many people, Al, do you reckon we saw oh my leave? God. Like film? at least like 15 people, at least oh in our God. area. Yeah, the guy next to me got up like, probably 15 minutes in and left. Like. What were they expecting? <laughs> like, oh, I've never been so to town in my life. It was pretty <laughs> <Okay>. extreme. <laughs> <laughs> so today on Spooko, we're going to be covering apparently, and, you know, look, after seeing a lot of films this year, I potentially agree with the most extreme film of 2021, to tank. Tatane almost sounds like ta-ta-tan. Like it's giving me like... <laughs> it's sort of a more delicious name than it should really have, really. mentioned Drake's 2018 album uh, Scorpion and there's this song on it that I always thought was going to get big um, similarly to how on 2011's Take Care I was like hell yeah fucking right is going to be the biggest song on this album and no one cared about it except me <laughs> um, but on the 2018 album there's this song called Summer Games and oh, it's a great, great song, song. But no, like, that album is so underrated I, I, I know <laughs> And I've and and that is that is, is what the score at the commencement of this trailer reminded me of. And so, if there's a whisper of um, Drizzy somewhere, in the, somewhere in the soundtrack, I'll be delighted. Look, I'm I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, I think Raw was set in in Canada, maybe. Oh, was um, it? Because it was a French speaking, a, wasn't it? Yeah, it's French speaking. I I think it was set in. In fact, I'm just going to look this up right mm. now because I'm pretty sure it was. Mm. I did tell I did tell a lie earlier. I did I did actually watch the trailer before we went. After I found out I was going, but I, I don't feel like the trailer really gives anything away, except for a glorious reminder of Drake's underrated exactly. <laughs> 2018. <Yeah. laughs> I love that that like proves how cynical Drizzy was. Apparently, part of the reason for the album name was that it's one of the most underused emoji. And so it was like free real estate. So like Drake knew that if kids wanted to communicate about his new album, there'd be an emoji that no one else was using to communicate anything else. Like he's like the most fucking cynical, like <laughs> cold-hearted dude. Drake hates yeah. art and yeah. somehow emojis. makes really good yeah. stuff. <laughs> okay, all right. So we are, we are doing uh, Tatane, a film that 
If it has cannibalism, it, it will actually be tart titane, which will be good fun. <laughs> <laughs> so the trailer really doesn't give much away. No. Uh, what I heard about this film mm. going into it, and this comes up pretty early on, so it's fine, is that it's about a woman who has sex with a cat. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I heard. I'm pretty sure. Did I? That's what I, I think I told you that before. Yeah, I think I, maybe you did tell me that. Yeah. And and there's a moment early on where it happens, and can I just say our audience were like pissing them off. Yeah. They were like, "This is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life," and it kind of is. All right, so let's do this film. It starts with a little girl named Alexia. She's on a drive with her dad. She's sitting in the back seat, and she's sort of kicking the seat behind him. You can tell that basically the dad either doesn't like her or resents her or whatever. Yeah. They just don't have a great relationship. Anyway, so during this this drive, which is a very fast drive, and he's sort of he's slowly sort of falling asleep and waking up, and so he you know he turns the radio on loud or turns the aircon on. Anyway, mm. she is being annoying in the back seat, although being annoying is in the eye of the beholder. Oh, well done. Um, no John Marsden in here. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, no, I'm not blaming kids <laughs> for the punishment inflicted upon them. So she. I think something happens. She removes her seatbelt to get it. At that moment, the dad is distracted and they have a crash. She suffers a terrible skull injury and because of that has a titanium plate fitted into her head. Now, titane or titan is French for titanium. So yeah. metal and you know our relationship and our bodily relationship to metal is definitely one of the themes of this film. Now, I think it's really important to say that... That's this, such a this, weird theme. <laughs> <laughs> Our relationship to metal. <laughs> but, but can I say that sometimes when a film has a theme, it basically is like the theme is like war is bad or we should really stamp out racism. This film has like heaps of themes yeah. where it's like, it's not like it's How weird is it how anything. much metal's it's around? Like, like, we're just, just going like... through our lives and there's all this metal. <laughs> The theme is just like, imagine if you were really into metal. It's just like, imagine that. Wouldn't that be interesting? So when she gets out of the hospital, she shuns her parents. Like, she's clearly pissed off at them. But she, like, hugs the car and kisses it. And then we have the title sequence. And then we cut to her being an adult. I'm having the best time. Now then, now then, and to the tune of... The Kills doing it to death, which was a great like late career single for them, even though it did nothing because by then that whole mid noughties indie scene had moved on, and no one like no one's going to buy a Colts ticket now. No one's going to go see The Kills. It's just it's done for those guys unless you're The Strokes, and even The Strokes are kind of like just hanging on, like you're, you're kind of done. But anyway, anyway, so to the tune of that, we go to this giant car show where. Like, Al, like, wh- what the fuck is happening at this? Like, I, I don't quite get it. <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't really sure. Like, are they just, like, strippers, like, dancing, like, at a car show? Or are they somehow, like, ambassadors for the cars they're dancing for? I don't know. It was weird. So, Alexia is, uh, you know, according to this Wikipedia synopsis, a sexed-up showgirl at a motor show. But okay. the difference is they seem to be celebrities in their own mm. right. So, they do, like, a sexy dance on the car. But once it's over, and everyone politely watches it, but once it's over, like at a Comic Con or something, there are all these dudes lining up to get their autographs. And they know their names and they know who they are. Mm. But then at the end of it, they all have a shower together. Like they're oh, not the fans, like, the performers do. No, the performers yeah, okay. in like in like a locker room. Like it's 
it's almost like if if it wasn't such an arty film from a director who just loves doing weird shit, it would come across as someone who doesn't understand car shows or sport or anything, just being like, I guess this is what happens. I guess they don't watch together after. Like, yeah. It's weird. Yeah, what would they do the after thing? they They've danced on the cars? <laughs> so while there, Justine, one of her co-workers, flirts with her, but Alexia is painfully fixated on Justine's nipple piercings. And there's there's an early oh, scene where you're like, relationship oh, fuck, with this, metal, yeah, okay, let's do it. This <laughs> movie's gonna be rough where they're in the shower and she bends down and her hair gets caught on the nipple piercing. And the girl with the nipple piercing is like, Okay, look, we can undo this, but then Alexia just tears her head oh. up and basically tears it out. And you're just like, <laughs> like straight, like the whole movie, you're just like, well, I, like people might have already walked out by this point. Like, it's really important to note from now until halfway through the film, people was there was no one point where everyone walked out. People were steadily walking out, <laughs> just dribbling yeah. out, dribbling out the yeah, door slowly. And a lot of them were like, I guess the older, wealthier white. Sydney siders who buy a flexi pass to the Sydney Film Festival and are like, this will be my culture for the year. <laughs> yeah. Like, would have bought this because it won a con. And then 10 minutes in, I'm like, fuck, <laughs> out of here. But I mean, that's the thing, right? Because it's won the Palm Door, but I, I don't think of it as like the kind of movie that would win the Palm Door, right? So, yeah, I guess a lot of baby boomers were pretty shocked. I think that's, that's sort of why you hand these awards out, like to advertise the awards themselves. Like, I imagine film festivals, mm. who gives a shit? Right. So, like, you're all most advertising the Cannes Film Festival to be like, we do crazy stuff. Like, <laughs> that should be the next <laughs> <laughs> What's it going to be next year? <laughs> uh, so, so after this show where she meets this girl, and they kind of there's it's a bit of a meet cute where there, there's clearly something going on between them, even though Alexia is just fixated on the metal in her nipple piercing. Uh, she's going back to her car when a male fan follows her to the showroom's parking lot and declares his love to her. Now, she's basically like, get the fuck away from me, but he's very forceful. In, in like a, like in that weird sort of creepy French way where it's like, no, I am, oh God, I'm not going to do an accent, but it's like. Well, but we're not going to understand, Jack. Help us understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. anyway You've already so called it a weird, creepy French way. Like, I think you hear he forces his head into the car and kisses her. Basically, he's Pepe Le Pew, like is what I'm he's imagining. Pepe he's Pepe Le Pew. To quote the, the greatest... Uh, Frenchman. To, uh, to quote the greatest onion headline of all time, real life Pepe Le Pew rapes cat. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 okay, so he forces his way into the car, starts kissing her. In a really uncomfortable sequence, <laughs> she starts kissing him back mm. and you're like, oh, fuck, it's going to be one of these films. And then as she's kissing him, she slowly pulls like a large hairpin that's sort of about the same shape as a chopstick and just stabs him in the neck and kills him. Oh, that's, that's pretty intense. It's super intense. <laughs> as she returns to shower after the getting the man's drool off her, she hears a banging coming from the showroom. So she wanders out completely naked from the shower. Like, it's completely empty. 
she wanders out completely naked and she finds like a hotted up car <laughs> with like you can't see anything in there like it's completely tinted and it's sort of honking its horns flashing its lights at her and sort of hydraulically like bouncing up and down <laughs> Like, is this a carnivalist, like, carnival atmosphere episode or something? It's the funniest thing we've ever done. So she she walks up to the car, starts, like, caressing it, hops in. The car starts a-rocking. Like, you know that kind of, like, if this car's a-rocking, don't come knocking. (laughs) This car is fucking a-rocking, right? Like, is it... Is this like a Hispanic community in Los Angeles, like, hydraulics, like, thing? And it's just, like, bouncing. Okay. And then we cut to inside the car. She's in the front seat, straddling the gear stick. She has both her arms on either side, wrapped around the the seat belt, almost like a sort of sex rope mm, sort of vibe. Okay. And she basically is having sex with this car and she comes and she finishes. And ne- the next day, <laughs> we, f- we find her at home where she still lives with her dad, who clearly hates her and she hates him. And we find out through a TV report that this person who has been murdered is not the first person who's been murdered in the exact same manner. And she's a serial killer who has seemingly murdered men and women indiscriminately in the past few months all across the country. Oof. Okay. So we're out of the car show, out of having sex with the car. We're yeah. now in a different film, it feels like. <laughs> so, so, so next, so next, so next. This film is like whiplash when it comes to time. Okay. Eventually, Alexia realizes she has somehow become pregnant after what appears... No, no, wait, 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 wait. Now, we are getting up to the first major point where people started walking out. And I'm like, I'm going to have to describe this. I'm so sorry about this. But, like, total warning, this is really full on. Well, yeah, like, that's not a very good warning, but with the greatest of respect, I don't know what you're warning me about. So she realized she's somehow become pregnant after what appears to be motor oil begins secreting from her vagina. She panics. So she gets Oof. her yep, hairpin. Okay, yep, yep. And yep, I'm with you. she attempts to perform a self-abortion yes. on mm. the toilet. Mm. Yes, and to terminate the pregnancy. Yes, yes, I understand. So there's... The, there's an episode of The Simpsons in season four. This is Whiplash. In, in, which, <laughs> in which Bart Simpson is sick of Homer, his dad, not giving men attention. So he signs up for the Big Brother program, you know, a program that assigns underprivileged kids with like an older male role model to take them out and, you know, show them a good time. And it ends with Bart's bigger brother having a fight with Homer Basically, because the bigger brother thinks Homer's like a real deadbeat and dead, and Homer's like, how dare you like take my place? And I was reading an interview about how they shot this scene because The Simpsons is a comedy. Is a and like, it, it's Yeah, The Simpsons is a cartoon, yeah. right? Sorry, how they, how, they, how they scripted this scene because they were basically like, well, it can't be action. Like, it has to be funny. You know, it can't come across as brutal or too action-y, but at the same time, it won't be funny unless it's a real fight. And I realized after experimenting on a lot of things, the way to make it funny was to overemphasize the real physical effects of things. So when Homer gets hit, you hear like a, and when he, you know, he's, he's hit over. And, and weirdly the same thing works in Tatane in the sense that all of these at like, what makes these extreme scenes like this, this self self-administered abortion. Mm. So terrible are the sound effects that go with it. Mm. And, yeah, how how were you during this scene now? 
I think I was like, I, I feel like at so many points in this movie, and this I think came up in like a pedestrian article that I read after seeing the film that, that kind of mentioned the 13 people that had fainted and there was a, a woman talking about how she was just like watching this scene and everyone in the cinema was sort of like cracking up, but she was like, what, how, how are people laughing at this? But I feel like there were so many points in this thing where you're like, you just can't actually believe what you're watching. It's like that your only impulse is to kind of like very awkwardly start laughing of like, not out of this is funny, but out of a kind of like, what is actually <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like that's how I've felt so many times in the film. Where I was laughing at things that are definitely not funny. And, and it wasn't a, like a uh, boing kind of laughter. It was like a, Oh my God. And so people were this. straight up laughing all the way through this yeah. film. And like to Al's point, I think it was actually trying to deal with what they were seeing on screen. That sort of like panicky, like nervous. I think so. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. As as you know, as 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 Lee Tran mm. said in you know an episode a couple of episodes ago, it's like you know it was it's absolutely the response. You know whether you're a scaredy cat or not, when you see something extreme on screen. Anyway, okay, mm. so. Later on, Alexia is at the beach with Justine and they're sort of getting it on and she's sucking on her nipple because it has a nipple ring. And Justine's like, is this your first time with a girl? You can do more stuff. Not realizing that Alexia is slowly trying to actually bite this and she eventually just bites it off. And you're just like, what (laughs) the fuck? But then Justine's like, you know what? You're cool. Why don't you come back to my place and we'll go have sex there? And so they do. I must say, and it's not a deep reflection on our relationship with metal. It's like that doesn't make me stop and think about <laughs> about our relationships with metal. <laughs> it's so, like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> so they're at this house party. Alexia's getting it on with Justine. And while they're having sex, out of nowhere, Justine pulls the hairpin out and just brutally stabs her and kills her. Oh. Then there are other people in this house party and she goes about killing them all. There's there's one death. This was another moment where people started, uh, I think, leaving. Al, do you, like, c- can you describe the, the stool scene? Oh, yeah. So at some point she's sort of like, doesn't she like put one of the legs of the stool like through the guy's head? <laughs> yeah. I feel, like I, I, feel, I definitely feel like at that point I was doing the kind of like half watching, half covering my eyes thing so I, I just got the sense that she put the stool through his head yeah. so yeah so she does and she's sitting on the stool and then she hears people upstairs right. and she's like oh fuck there's more people upstairs and there's a scene where she goes upstairs and she's killed a few more people and then this guy just comes out of the toilet and she's just like she just audibly sighs yeah and goes <laughs> Oh, how many more are there? And he's just this lovely dude. And he's like, well, there's Philippe and there's Justine and there's whatever. Because he doesn't know what's happening. He hasn't seen any of the dead bodies. She just hugs him. I can't remember if she kills him then or we're just left to assume that she kills him Mm. and it cuts to the next scene. I think she kills him. Now, one of the girls escapes, right? And she's like, okay, fuck. Like, I haven't Mm. been as clean as I usually am. So she goes back to her home. She burns... The clothes, I think, of Justine downstairs, like in the basement of their home, which starts a fire in the whole house. As the fire is slowly getting up to her parents' bedroom, she walks up to it, opens the door. The dad looks out at her. The mum's asleep. She looks at them, like stares them dead in the face, closes the door and locks it from the outside as the dad stands up, realises what's happening. And she leaves the house, leaving her parents to burn to death. 
which okay. I, like even not like it was just like a it was it this this film like at this point I'm like okay this is like it's not it's not quite a horror film but it's not mm. not a horror film like it's described as a psychological horror film I don't know what the fuck it is but it definitely has elements of horror in it. yeah it's a film and magical realism like falling falling pregnant with a car is what are you gonna do like give give birth to like Optimus Prime or something so so you just motherfucking went so <laughs> okay. Now wanted for murder, Alexia heads to the airport but realises there's, like, police sketches of her everywhere. But she also conveniently notices a sketch of a kid that went missing something like nine years ago. Mm. And they, they've created a sketch of, you know, a kid that of what this kid would look like now. And she's like, hang on, I could potentially pass for this kid. So she goes into the bathroom, she cuts her own hair because the the, the kid... The, kid it was a boy who went missing Mm. cuts her own hair tapes down her breasts and then looks at her nose and realizes her nose is wrong so no 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 on the on the sink yeah and the sound effects here (laughs) yeah she breaks her own nose and it takes her a good four or five tries she starts Before like, she lining it up, right? She's like, kind of like just trying to like, punch herself in the nose. And so she does that a few times. It doesn't really work. Ugh. And then she goes for the full like slam on the bathroom sink. <laughs> I didn't think this would be the bit, but I think this yeah. was the part where I was like, I couldn't watch. Like I could yeah, not too. watch. Well, and you could still hear. It's the anticipation, right? It's like mm. the fact that you know she's going to do this thing <laughs> and he's just waiting for her to like, finally do it. It's so brutal. Mm. So she then goes to the police pretending to be Adrian Legrand, a young boy. Oh, yeah. So 10 years who had dis- disappeared 10 years before at age seven. Adrian's father, Vincent, recognizes Alexia as his missing son and refuses to do a DNA test. Now, Vincent is, now Vincent <laughs> is a, a fire captain. That's a very important part of it. It is definitely like, it's this film. I you refuse, just have to. I refuse <laughs> to confirm whether I'm right or not. You have to just go with this film. This film yeah. has its own logic, a logic I've never seen in anything. It's, it's, and it's quite, mar- like, I can see why it's an award winner in the sense that I don't know about you, Al, but I was willing to just follow this film wherever the fuck I wanted to. Is this David Lynchian? Yeah, like are we totally? Like it just sort of riffs on stuff. It's sort of a bit Cronenberg years, and it wasn't. Do you reckon it had probably a bit more Cronenberg? Yeah, to it. and Cronenbergy yeah. about our relationship with metal. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? How much metal? Yeah. <laughs> so he takes Alexia as Adrian to the fire station where he lives and works and introduces her to his man. The firefighters are super puzzled by the fact that... So Alexi's not speaking, so she's presenting as a mute boy and he's fine with it, but they're puzzled <laughs> by this mute, androgynous and apparently traumatised Adrian, but they refrain from questioning the captain's behaviour because he's clearly super respected. And there's a fun scene where he walks in and he goes, who am I to you? And they're like, I don't know. And he's like, I am God. So this must be Jesus. So you can't ask anything of him. And like, it's basically like laser smackdown. It is basically like anybody even tries to do anything to this boy, this person that I'm saying is Adrian, you're all going to feel my wrath. Mm. So Alexia becomes an apprentice at the station <laughs> under Vincent's supervision. As Vincent gives more responsibility to his son instead of the other experienced firefighters, one firefighter confronts Vincent about Adrian's identity. However, Vincent immediately shuts him down and tells him never to speak of his son. It's really important that it's pretty clear from the beginning that Vincent is willfully, yeah. willfully deciding blind. Willfully that this blind, is his yeah. son. 
Yeah. And this is like, the kind of, it's sort of funny how the movie is like two halves, right? Like this is definitely like, it feels like an almost like another movie in a lot of ways. The mood of it, the vibe of it, they're kind of weirdly how much emotional resonance it starts having. There's almost an odd couple vibe to this of like, oh, it's crazy old firefighter <laughs> and, you know, young androgynous son who's been missing for a while. Until the very end, this is basically mm. a different film. Mm. So Vincent, who we later discover, is getting older. He's estranged from his wife because of the disappearance of their son, which has clearly had an effect on him. He's also an, a tortured man who tries to preserve his strength by injecting steroids into his muscular aging body in his butt. I found these scenes really hard to deal with. It, the, <sighs> the, the camera really lingered on his very muscular but clearly very aging body body is that yeah. like do, do you do you think that was clear that they were, they were saying something here right oh hell yeah, yeah it was just like i feel like it was like this formerly like obviously very like powerful man that was sort of like deteriorating and having to like inject himself like he's had so many like bruises from like all the needles and stuff all over his butt and legs and it was like obviously just yeah like you know human frailty and yeah decay yeah that like arrogance and faded grandeur sort of combo yeah okay but also yeah. not not even the arrogance. He was just clearly a very tortured mm. man who felt trapped. And, you know, Alexia arriving in his life did something to him, gave him something, gave him some sort of hope. So anyway, she is gradually disturbed by his possessiveness and considers escaping from the fire station. However, after Vincent attempts suicide by injecting an air bubble, Alexia decides to stay with him. So Vincent's long estranged ex-wife comes to see her son and pretty immediately is like... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she goes upstairs to sort of confront Alexia, discovers her now heavily pregnant, and she's like, she's like, I will keep this secret and I will not interfere with, you know, my ex-husband's delusion, but you need to take care of him because nobody's taking care of him. And it's... Again, in it's it's kind of like to Al's point. There's like it's a sweet moment. It's like an emotionally resonant moment. God. Mm. Yeah, that's actually like, quite it's not really magic plot wise. Sorry, Lex. Yeah, no, no, you're right. No, no, because like, there's not really any many women in this whole part of the movie, except for Alexia and, and the and the ex-wife or whatever. It's just all men in this very like macho sort of you know fireman sort of I don't know accommodation whole um, yeah fire department sort of thing. It's very macho. So Vincent at one point acknowledges his delusion, telling Alexia that whoever you are, you are my son. When he, and there's like a moment, I think where he catches her getting changed and notices the breasts and he just takes the towel and covers them for himself to just be like, I, I didn't see that. You're my mm. son. It doesn't matter. You are, as far as I'm concerned, you're Adrian. Anyway, later on, there's, this, this is one of those classic, French film scenes where there's a party at the fire station and honestly for like three minutes we watch these firefighters all men including Adrian in I think it's for like Bastille Day or whatever the French national day is and because there's French flags everywhere and they are dancing to hardcore techno which like I, I don't know drums. I think it's just if if it's just going like dun 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 dun. Is that just a bass drum? Is that just a constant bass drum? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And it's 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 a weird, it's this weird moment where we watch these men dance together, and it's not like it's being like whoa, and like it's they're, they're, it's not saying it like I, I guess it's making a point about masculinity. It's when I say themes are, it's not really saying anything. It's just I guess it's kind of about masculinity and like bodies. 
Yeah. Yeah, because then I guess there's the other dance scene towards the end, right, where they're more like shirtless and dancing. But it's still not like it's not like necessarily that homoerotic or anything either. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not. Like, like the, the dance at the start when she's on the car is very sexualized. This is not mm. sexualized. These dudes are just having a great time, but a very aggressive time. Yeah. Like they are aggressively dancing to this very aggressive music. And we watch this for like three minutes. Anyway, Alexia becomes the center of attention at the party. And so she gets up on the top of one of the trucks and starts dancing like she used to dance at the car show. Uh. Now, everyone gets really confused and weirded out. At this point, this was another point where the audience were pissing themselves. They were like, this is just a classic comedic <laughs> moment. <laughs> classic today and you've done it again. <laughs> so Vincent disappointingly walks out of the crowd when he sees this being like, I guess because... It's kind of break going in the face of his fantasy to be like, mm. no, 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 that's that's actually not my son. And this is who who I think Adrian really is. After the party, Alexia has sex with one of the fire trucks. One of the fire trucks. Yeah. Does it do hard It's just it's the yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Alexia's body gradually breaks down as tears in the skin of her stomach oh, reveal God. new metal plates. As her pregnancy finally comes to term, Alexia reveals her real name to Vincent. So she gets to a point where a water breaks, but obviously it's oil. And even though we know that in real life, water breaking doesn't mean you're about to have the baby, which is like a total Hollywood thing. But anyway, she retires to the bedroom where... (laughs) When you fuck the car, it's much faster. (laughs) (laughs) So where she begins to give birth. Now... Vincent comes up, realizes what's happening. Alexia <laughs> does he's like, oh god, you're about to give birth to yeah. a girl. Alexia attempts to seduce him, and obviously he's like, what are you doing? Like, I, we, I don't need that. And then she just begs for his help, and Vincent's like, I'm going to help. Vincent helps Alexia give birth. The titanium side of her skull splitting open on the final push, which kills her. Vincent in tears holds up the baby who we then see its spine is made out of titanium like this baby has like little bits of metal all over it and is basically like a hybrid half metal half human baby and tells it repeatedly i'm here like in a very loving moment and then we cut to the title and that's the end of titane yeah it does make you think about metal Because when we brought down at McMully, we were just like so not sure about what the hell was going on. We were like, I think it's about like, it's obviously about bodies. It's something about metal. There's something about like masculinity. There's probably something about like trans identity, but it's like, who knows? With the benefit of a couple of weeks time to let that film sort of digest in your brain stomach, what do you think of the film? I, I actually don't really know what I think of it. Like I, because to say that I enjoyed watching it, I'm not sure that I enjoyed watching it. Because a lot of the times it was like a very, like it was very ugly and harsh hmm. and hard film as well. Um, and it wasn't like, I laughed a lot, but it wasn't like a kind of a good sort of, you know, uh, when you laugh and you feel like you all the tension's released. If anything, I felt more tense laughing sort of crazily. Um, so, I mean, I'm glad I saw it. 
Is that like a yeah? I'm definitely glad I saw it, but did I enjoy it? I actually just don't know. Would you have signed the waiver if someone had asked <laughs> you halfway through? <laughs> when I started doing the research for this episode, I realised that I haven't thought of this film once since I saw it. Amazing. Like yeah. I, I, I have not. Like it. Like afterwards, I was like, wow, and I was excited to come home, and uh, you know like, you know, let it stew in my brain. But I think once I woke up, like, this film hasn't stuck with me. What I think is really true is I read a really cool review of this film that was like, this is the best post-lockdown film, even though Omnicron, like, what the fuck. Mm. But it it described it as the best post-lockdown film because it's so amazing to watch this in a cinema and share this communal experience oh, of watching well something so completely fucked up, which is why I think it's really fun as well doing this episode with you, even you listening to this. It's really fun doing this together because this, I don't think, like the thing about this film, I think on its own, it's like, it's it's like a fun, <laughs> it's a fun. On, the, on its own, it's an interesting experiment from the director mm-hmm. as a communal experience is where it truly shines. Yeah. I would agree with that actually. Yeah, because it was it was fun watching everyone groan along and laugh along. But it's so funny that even recording this and you just reading the synopsis, the one part where Peach squirmed the most was also the nose breaking <laughs> scene. <laughs> like without even having to actually see it, it's still the most horrific. But yeah, that's probably quite true. Maybe that also made it like more bearable watching it with other people or something. I'm just sad they danced to techno and not metal on on reflection. <laughs> What a classically detained <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> That's what they call a tartate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?